everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Lighthearted. My name is Anna, and I'm just doing a quick little intro here for you. This week, I am growing by having reached out to a therapist and getting on a wait list because everybody knows that trying to find a therapist right now is like basically impossible because everybody has long wait lists, but I'm on one, so I'm feeling good about that. And Bracey is growing by keeping a tiny human alive, which is really exciting and very important. So please enjoy this pre-recorded episode about attachment. Happy listening. All right. I'm pretty excited about today's episode because this is a topic that I am very interested in and have enjoyed learning about in the last like five to seven years or so. Yeah. I don't know nearly as much as you do about this topic. But I think it's really important, especially in like close relationships. Absolutely. So without further ado, in this episode, we are talking about attachment theory, which is a theory that honestly is not super old. I think it came about in like the 1960s sometime. And John Balby was the first person to kind of delve into attachment and he was interested in understanding like the anxiety and the distress um, that children experience when they're separated from their primary caregivers. And some of the early theories about this were pretty much only related to like feeding. And so people thought that if children are being fed, then that is what would form an attachment. Mm. Which like makes sense to some degree, um, but it's definitely more complicated than that. Um, yeah, for sure. And when Balby was doing all this research, he found that feeding alone did not impact uh, like separation anxiety and stuff that children were experiencing. And so he found that it was more often characterized by behavior and motivational patterns that came from the caregivers. And so typically a child is dependent on his or her caregivers and they seek comfort and they seek support and soothing. And when their physical and emotional needs are met, they become securely attached, Mm -hmm. which doesn't always happen. And so there are four primary types of attachment style. And we're going to talk, I think, more about like the relationships, like romantic relationships. That's definitely the area that I know the most about with when it comes to attachment style, but your attachment style shows up in all of your relationships, friendship, family, all of that stuff. I know you read the book. Did the book talk about much outside of romantic relationships? Not really. That particular book is like specific to romantic relationships and how to have successful romantic relationships based on attachment theory. Okay. Yeah. I just haven't heard much of anything outside of romantic relationships, which is honestly where I'm like more interested. I feel like there's a learning gap there. So yeah. Well, in attachment theory, like if you are interested in this stuff, you can absolutely like learn more about it. There's tons of resources on this, but all of it kind of starts in childhood. So whatever way that you attach in childhood, most likely like that is going to play out in your relationship. But these attachments are on a spectrum. So you likely have one primary attachment style, but you probably like that maybe that's like 
50% or 60%. And then you might have a certain percentage that is a different type of attachment style and a 20% that's another type of attachment style, depending on your relationship, what experiences you have, the relationship of the other person or the, sorry, the attachment style of the other person. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's lots of things that can impact your attachment and it can fluctuate for a lot of different reasons. Okay. So the first one we're going to talk about is anxious. (laughs) Which is you, right? (laughs) Which is me. I feel really, really seen in this attachment style. And it, if you're interested in the book that we're talking about, it's called Attached. Are you anxious, avoidant, or secure? How the science of adult attachment can help you find and keep love. Um, and it's by Dr. Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. And this book was recommended to me by my therapist. <laughs> and I loved it. Like I felt very seen and I felt very understood. And I Taylor read it. Um, there's a quiz in it that you can take that will tell you like what your primary attachment style is. And then there's also a quiz in there for your partner to take. Okay. Um, I also took one on line from attachmentproject.com. Nice. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that website also listed disorganized attachment. Is that something you've heard of? Yeah. So disorganized is also known as fearful avoidant attachment. Okay. So a couple of these, yeah, they have like two different names, which is honestly confusing. Wait, you said fearful avoidant is what? Is the same as disorganized. Okay. That seems reasonable. Why um, Why are you asking about that one? Oh, I was just curious. I feel like I, I got like my results from this website and it kind of has everything on a scale. So mm. I was like, you know. If there's only three, then this is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> is that the one that you're where you is that the one that was most predominantly no for you? So it's really interesting because this one, this website categorizes your scores by your familial rate <laughs> familial relationships, your partner relationships, and then a general score. Okay. And I feel like mine are all over the map. <laughs> Which they might be. Yeah. So it was interesting because I I had a hunch that I was secure attachment in romantic relationships. Mm-hmm, which for is sure. what happened. And then in familiar relationships, it says that I'm much more avoidant than anxious. But in general, I'm much, much more anxious than avoidant. So... I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really weird. Okay. Well, let's talk through the the four types of attachment, and then we're gonna see where you where you see yourself. I'm excited. Okay. Okay. So in anxious attachment in adulthood, these are definitely people that have anxiety. Um, these are people who typically have like a negative self-image, but they probably have a really high uh, view of others. Um, they 
have a very high fear of abandonment. So safety in their relationships is the top priority at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, they seek approval. They seek attention. They seek responsiveness from their partner. And it really is that like their partner's attention is like their medicine for anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, like that is what will calm their anxiety or that's how, or they, which it does do, but it's like you want to, they don't have like the skills to soothe themselves. So yeah. they seek it in others. And I think for me, at least like this is true in all of my relationships, friendship, family, I seek that uh, outside validation from others that we're good and they're not going to leave and I'm doing a good job and all that stuff. Yeah. Do you see that? Go ahead. No, you go. Do you see any of that? Like me saying all that stuff, does that show up for you at all? Not really. The only thing that I sort of resonated with, and maybe this speaks to my like quote unquote general score, is that Mm – you said something about seeking approval from other people. And I feel like mm. sometimes my like avoidance of judgment is similar to that. Like I'm trying to, I don't necessarily, I'm not like looking for approval, but I don't want disapproval. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Like I'm avoiding yeah. disapproval, which sure. is that avoidance or is it anxiety? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's both. I mean, maybe. Okay. Okay. Um. Well, you saying that, means that it could be this other type of attachment called fearful, avoidant, or it's also called disorganized. I think they're trying to move it into it just being called disorganized. Okay. So for these people in a romantic relationship, the partner and the relationship themselves um, are often the source of both desire and fear. They want intimacy, they want closeness, but they also have difficulty trusting others. So it's kind of like a push-pull. And so in childhood, this might have looked like having a parent who you were very close with or a caregiver that you had like a really close bond, but also there was some unpredictability about that caregiver as well. Like the closeness was there most of the time, but then the caregiver might have had some outburst or some emotional stuff going on that maybe they didn't know how to handle that then went on to you. Mm-hmm. And so it felt unsafe at times, but you weren't sure when to, when to expect that. I feel like that could be maybe slightly more of what happens outside of my romantic relationships. I still don't think it's something that, like, I still think that I'm mostly secure, but that sounds like maybe that's like my secondary. Yeah. And the other piece of that is that those people with this attachment style um, really fear being hurt, mm. which I think does sound like you to some degree. Like, I yeah. think I've we've had conversations where you have said like, you don't want to get your feelings hurt. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, I feel like getting my feelings hurt is like the number one, like thing that I try to avoid, especially in friendships. Totally. And so that might be where the avoidance piece comes in. Cause you're like, I'm going to avoid that because I don't want to risk being hurt. 
That is, yeah, no, that's definitely me. I can think yeah. of, of like several behaviors that I exhibit, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm just going to not do this and then I won't have my feelings hurt and yeah. that's fine. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. I can see in yeah, our conversations that we've had. I'm like, I can totally see this for you in some types of your relationships. Yeah. So the avoidant and dismissive attachment style, these people, they have, they don't really feel like they need to be in a relationship. Like that's not something they seek or crave or whatever. Um, they typically avoid emotional closeness. Um, and they tend to hide their feelings or suppress their feelings when they are in like an emotional situation. I would imagine this one's like harder to recognize the behaviors for because it's the people who just aren't seeking out like dating if they're Mm -hmm. single and maybe because they just don't feel good about opening themselves up to feelings. Totally. Absolutely. And these people are also typically pretty like independent Mm -hmm. um, and like self-sufficient in that type of thing. I don't know. I do think probably Seb is mostly secure like I am, but Mm -hmm. I would, if I had to guess, I would say that his secondary is avoidant. It's avoidant. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor is definitely, I would say secure. Yeah, I would say he's the same. I would say he's mostly secure, but he's definitely has avoidant tendencies, 100%. Okay, well, and then the last one is secure, the like golden rod of attachment style. These people are, they're just comfortable in relationships, but they also don't have to be in a relationship. They thrive either way, essentially. They're good at expressing their emotions. They can depend on others. They can let others depend on them. They are just really comfortable. But that is not to say that people who are secure attachment are like never insecure. It's not, it's not the same thing. Yeah, um, for sure. And so they're just comfortable with themselves and comfortable being in relationships and trusting people and all that good stuff. I actually think that this might have a little bit to do with that saying that people say about like, you shouldn't get in a relationship until you're like happy being with yourself or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think is actually like the best advice. Like it's, you know, it's sometimes fine to get in a relationship and like work through those things with a partner. Yeah. But, but I do, I can see like they're basically saying if you're secure attachment, then you're like going in on a good foot into the relationship, I guess. Totally. And one thing that you can do for yourself if you are not secure attachment is find a partner who is secure attachment. <laughs> That's oh, like really? Of, is that like one of the healing things for people? hundred percent. Interesting. Yes, because <laughs> that, because you can, you know, like we said, like this is on all on a spectrum and you can move attachment styles. Like the attachment style you are, that you develop as a child does not mean that that is the attachment style that you have to have forever. Mm-hmm. But Not like order, a personality test or anything. Yeah, exactly. But if you want to move towards secure, then you need to be having experiences with a secure person so that you can unlearn the patterns that you've developed and develop like new ways of thinking about partnerships. So yeah, that's the best thing you can do for yourself is be with a secure attached person. Interesting. Maybe I 
I guess that's a question that I've always had because it didn't necessarily make sense in my brain that I would be totally secure in Mm -hmm. romantic relationships just based on my history, but I am. And so maybe I just have had enough corrective experiences in romantic relationships that I ended up secure. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, you might be totally secure in romantic relationships, but then you kind of delve off into the other attachment styles depending on whatever the type of relationship is. Yeah, for sure. I think that's true. Okay. So in your romantic relationships, would you say you're secure? That's your number one. Mm -hmm. Okay. How do you, how are you like that? (laughs) I mean, I don't know if I have an answer for you. Um, I just feel like you mentioned like being independent and being okay by yourself. And I think that's Mm -hmm. like kind of the basis of it. Like Seb and I are both very much people that can spend endless amounts of time together or apart. And like, we're both good with whatever. Yeah. Um, so I also think that kind of speaks to like, we wouldn't have neither of us. I don't think would have gotten into a relationship unless it was like really worth it to us, you know? Mm-hmm. Like we were c- cool alone. So like, I wasn't gonna. Yeah. You weren't like, I have to be in a relationship to complete to, myself. Right. To make <laughs> me feel like X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, you're like, oh, this person just showed up at the right time and like, it's a good match. So we'll go for it. Yeah. Pretty much. And Seb was like, oh shoot, we're going to get married. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but you seem cool. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I guess we'll go out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, mine is definitely anxious. I will say, as Taylor and I have both done like our own individual work on ourselves and then also like our own work together, I definitely feel like I've moved into more of a secure place with him, but I absolutely still have like anxious attachment tendencies, tendencies that, yeah, they pop up all the time, like Mm. for sure. And what is really interesting is that So I'm anxious attachment. Taylor, I think is secure, but he definitely has avoidant tendencies Mm -hmm. and anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. People are attracted to each other, which kind of makes sense because you like are feeding it. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. You're, you're, and so yeah, it's kind of twofold. So part of it is that you're each attracted to what the other person has like a lagging skill in essentially. Mm -hmm. And so anxious people are like, wow, avoidance are, wow, they're so independent. And they just like, they have validation outside of their relationships. And like, wow, that's so impressive. I want that. And so anxious people are attracted to that. Where on the flip side, avoidance are like, wow, that person is so attuned with other people's emotions. And like, they really understand their own emotions and they're able to connect and all of that stuff. And I don't know how to do that. And that's attractive to me. But then they get into a relationship together. And yeah, like you said, they get into this little cycle where like we all like seek out these patterns because they're familiar and comfortable, even if they're not good for us. And so avoidant people are like, well, I don't want to be like tied down. I don't want to be smothered. I don't want anybody too clingy. And so they pull away when that starts to happen, which makes anxious people be like, oh, something's wrong. I need to fix it. So let me cling. Yep. (laughs) And so they both have these like self-fulfilling prophecies in their relationship. So it's just really funny. 
and kind of messed up in the world that the two people that are not good for each other find each other really quickly. It's true. But I mean, I think it just speaks to the fact that we often seek out like some of the maybe less than stellar behaviors that we were, that we grew up with. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, okay. What about for you with friendships? Okay. So I think we've at this point identified that maybe I'm fearful avoidant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also just can't necessarily tell what is me being avoidant and what is me just not being a good initiator. I'm never like, Oh, I don't want to have a relationship with X person. Mm-hmm. It's I'm just bad at like being the first person to initiate conversation or like, be like, Hey, let's go do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that's like a general personality thing or if it's avoidance. Okay. My question is, do you think that you are just naturally like not good at initiating? Or do you think it could be that if they say no, that they can't like do whatever the thing is that you're inviting them to, that that might hurt your feelings, which would have make you avoid the whole situation? I think that in general, I am bad at initiating, but I definitely know that there are situations where I would... I would probably ask and initiate and I don't because I'm avoiding having my feelings hurt. So I think it's a little of both. But in general, I think what I was thinking about is I'm just bad at keeping up with people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're just like introverted sometimes. and Yeah. It's never that I don't want to talk to people. It's just that I just don't think about making a phone call or like sending a text message. It just does not cross my mind most of the time. Yeah. But in the situations where it does cross my mind, I think that's where I can sometimes be fearful avoidant. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see that in you. What about you? Uh, I mean, yeah, definitely. I would say, honestly, this is like where my anxious attachment probably shows up the most is in my friendships. That's interesting. I feel like, I don't know. Is it just that we spend more time with our partners to like, be more secure and like work towards that? Or is there some reason that like relationships outside of partnerships are more dysfunctional? I don't know. That's a really good question. And I think that's a good point of like, I think when you do get to spend a lot of time with somebody, you don't have to wonder like what's going on Mm -hmm. because you're there living it together. And so there's more opportunity to like work through things in real time. Yeah. And I guess it's, I mean, I guess it is easier to avoid (laughs) issues in friendships and familial relationships because you're not with them all the time. So it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, yeah, we had this thing that might have been weird, but that was three weeks ago. And let's just move on. Right. Why bring it up now? Yeah. And also, I feel like it's more vulnerable a lot of the time in outside relationships. Whereas I guess with partners, you're like used to vulnerability. Like that's Mm -hmm. kind of a requirement for those types of relationships. Yeah. And I think for, at least for anxious attachment people, when you're in a partnership where you live together, that takes away so much of the anxiety of like, oh, when will we see each other? Will we spend enough time together? Like all of that stuff kind of goes away. And so I think you have more of an opportunity to like go towards the secure attachment. 
Okay, so that's what I was going to ask. You think that it actually drives security, like more secure attachments and not like just like Band-Aid fixes the problem? I think it's a Band-Aid fix if you're not doing the work to be secure. Like it can't just be like, okay, well, we live together. So now I don't have to be anxious about the amount of time we spend together. Yeah. But because then like, oh, what if they go on a trip or what if they want to go see their friends or whatever, then if that's bringing up a bunch of stuff, then there's obviously still like an issue there. But I think it takes away a big hurdle okay. to working on it. All right. But one one good plug I would say about anxious attachment friends is that they typically are really good friends. That's true. I have a lot of anxious attachment friends and they're really good friends <laughs> and really good initiators, which is great for me. Yeah. 100% because they're like, I need your approval. And I'm like, I, need- I am here to give it to you. <laughs> exactly. Um, but one thing that can show up that is like not so great thing about anxious attachment people in friendships is that they might feel competitive or jealous of that their person's like other friendships. Oh, interesting. And so they can get like territorial over and be like, oh, maybe that, maybe that friend is, likes this other friend more um, and they're going to leave me. And Fascinating. so, yeah, which Do I you can experience absolutely- that. A hundred percent. And I hate, I like hate it in myself. Like when I start to feel that way that I'm like, oh, they probably like that other person better. I'm like, why? I wish I could stop it, but I know what it is. Like I know that it's my attachment style getting poked. Yeah. Um, Well, I would say I don't necessarily feel like jealous or anything of friends spending time with other friends, but I definitely sometimes feel like that happens because of like us just not being as close. So I feel like there is like some insecurity there in general, but it's mm-hmm. not like it's just looks a little it's bit not different. jealousy necessarily. Right. Yeah. It just pokes your insecurity button. Yeah. Gosh, friendships are hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, like I really want to read big friendship as like a podcast episode. I would love to, cause honestly I would love to listen to it again. I feel like it's been probably two years since I listened to it and I loved it when I did. So I think I would be happy to do it again. Okay. Yeah. I just feel like this is an area that I have room for growth. (laughs) Oh my God. Do you think one of them would come on our podcast? I don't know. We can DM them. Find out. Shoot for the stars. Yeah. Might as well. (laughs) Um, Okay. Lastly, what about your familial relationships? I would say this is like pretty on par with my friendships with more tendency towards avoidance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I can definitely see myself being more of like a, well, I mean, it's like not a relationship that I necessarily need. So if we've got <laughs> confrontation happening, like, is it worth my time? You know? Interesting. Yeah. I would say this applies more to like, extended family like i'm less likely to go out of my way to like repair a relationship or like even encourage a relationship with an extended family member if i don't feel safe or comfortable with them already yeah i would agree i i feel the same way about some extended family members that i'm like we just don't jive and like there's not really any reason that i feel to like pursue this yeah what would you say 
are like what shows up for you in your with your like more immediate family with like avoidant tendencies? Are there is there anything like specific that you can think of that you do? Yeah, well, I first of all, I don't feel like I don't know what it is, but I don't feel like I can fully avoid my immediate family. So maybe I'm like less avoidant than I thought. But I would say I have a tendency to like procrastinate contact. Like I am Mm -hmm. like, oh, I really need to call them. And then I'll put it off. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think that's like the number one avoidant tendency that I have there. Yeah. Gotcha. What about you? That makes sense. I think definitely, I mean, (laughs) you guys are probably tired of hearing me say (laughs) anxiety. Um, I definitely have some anxiousness in my close like family relationships. But I actually think this might be an area where I am in your camp. Like Mm -hmm. I would say that I have like some fearful avoidant tendencies with my family where like I really don't want my feelings to be hurt ever in general, but definitely not (laughs) by my family. And so I think that I do sometimes like avoid conversations or avoid contact and that type of thing. Like you were saying, especially if there's like something going on that I like maybe want to need to talk about, but like don't want to talk about obviously because I'm scared of like what will happen in that conversation. So I think it's probably some anxiety, but some avoidance as well. Yeah. Well, I think too, it's maybe a little bit different in family relationships because there are more often like problems to be solved. I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. necessarily the right wording that I'm saying, but. Well, you have so much history together. Oh yeah. That's the whole thing. I feel like one thing that just in general, people don't talk enough about is how when you're with your nuclear family, you just like revert to the person you were when you were young. Totally. Um, so I feel like that dynamic almost plays into people being more avoidant and familiar relationships than anxious because it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll just like push this off because I know it's not going to be as fun as like calling a friend. Well, and like we we've talked about this some like offline is that family dynamics are really tricky. They are so rooted in your family and like to change family dynamics, every single person has to be on board and they all have to be like doing their own work and work collectively to like move to a different family dynamic. Yeah. And like that feels like impossible almost. It does. <laughs> and I feel like that we, I, I've, you and I discuss like psychology in general a lot, I feel Mm -hmm. like. But I feel like this is one topic where nobody's like really figured out how to make it work, you know? Like I need somebody to teach me how to encourage change in a place where people are very, very rooted in how they are. Right. A hundred percent. Including myself because it's terrifying for me to even like try to change other people in that way. (laughs) Totally. And like you, yeah, you just have to think about like everybody's bringing like their own sensitivities to the table. Everybody's bringing their own history with their, like, you know, our parents, like with their own families and like their, there's just so many dynamics at play and everybody with in each individual person has their own dynamic. And then it might be different when you're all in a group together and it's just, there's so much at play and everybody's bringing their own attachment style as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So basically what we're saying is that familiar relationships are hard. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly what we're saying. 
<laughs> in a nutshell. And yeah. Okay. Well, in general, what causes you the most discomfort in relationships? Mm. Gosh, so many things. Um, the most discomfort I would say is probably when I have an issue with a friend or a family member or Taylor and I am terrified to bring it up. And so then often I won't bring it up and I'll just do my best to like bury it. Mm -hmm. And then it'll just like build inside of me and I'll start feeling like resentful towards that person for a time, but then I'll like back off and be like, okay, you know what? Like you've created this problem. <laughs> like you could have said something and you never did. Um, so I often don't feel like my feelings are fair in those situations anymore mm -hmm. because I like didn't do anything about it. So that's, I mean, that's probably like a, the thing that causes me absolutely the most like discomfort and stress, but I don't know, maybe that isn't really answering the question because it's not something that I share. So it's not really I like mean, in the, in the relationship, maybe <laughs> it's still there. It's causing you discomfort. It's just that you're not. And I think just like confrontation, I guess it maybe is like a yeah. good. Well, that's what I, that's what I was about to say is I feel like what you're describing is like confrontation in general it is mm -hmm. discomfort. It's uncomfortable for you. Absolutely. Which is probably exactly what I was going to say. Like I feel. I feel like in close relationships, I sometimes avoid confrontation just because I, I really don't like, this is hard to explain, but I don't like it when people's tone is bad and in like an mm -hmm. argument, like I'm yeah. really sensitive to that. So occasionally, it doesn't happen very often, but like occasionally Seb will snap or like snap at me or like mm -hmm. when we're arguing about something, his tone will like change. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just like, it makes me almost immediately shut down. I'm like, I can't mm -hmm. engage with you when your tone is like that. Mm -hmm. So that's, but that doesn't happen in like family and friends relationships. Yeah. Um, I have a question about that real quick. Okay. Because that, that happens in Taylor Mine's relationship too sometimes. Mm -hmm. And often when I bring up, he doesn't realize that his tone was different. Does Seb have that same experience? I think so. It's hard too because I feel like in those situations, that's when he's the most defensive. Mm. And so it's hard for me to – because he's dysregulated. So it's hard for us sure. to even like have – a rational conversation at that point because yeah. he's dysregulated and his tone has made me dysregulated. So right. like, no, but nothing's going to get done at that point. Yeah. And, and usually what happens is I just stop talking because I can't do it. Yeah. Well, and I think that sounds like that's like the best option is like you just both take a break. Yeah. But I think we're not very good at like circling back to those types of mm, things. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. But like specifically the fact that like the tone is the problem for me. Not necessarily yeah. like we usually resolve the whatever we're arguing about in the first place, but I don't think we've ever really at length discussed the fact that his tone impacts me a lot. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And I definitely I feel the same way. Like I'm very sensitive to how things are said. It's not often like what is being said that will bother me, but if it's 
wherever the inflection is, or if it sounds a little bit too angry for me or whatever, like I, I'm the same way. I like, I've shut down and I'm just like, nope, I am not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Not going there. Well, what do you do to temper your discomfort? I mean, honestly, if depending on the relationship and my comfort level, pushing myself to just have the conversation and bring up is like the best thing that I can do for myself for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. But usually once it's out of me, I'm like, oh, it wasn't as bad as I had created it to be in my mind. Like this experience is so much better. I'm so glad that now this isn't on my brain anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, and shocker, this like conversation didn't go horribly. I'm like, it's all good. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) and so I think that's the best thing I can do in the relationships that I feel comfortable to do it in. Yeah. But the feeling comfortable part is hard because I just don't think there's, in our society, we just don't welcome that from most relationships, I would say. Mm -hmm. For sure. What about you? I would say that now, more recently, that I've learned a lot more about nervous system regulation. That's like Uh my first thing is like, okay, I've got to calm myself down because otherwise this is not going to be good. And then, yeah, same. Having the conversation is always going to make me feel better than not having it. Uh, But there are definitely relationships where I just don't feel comfortable having it. So it just Mm -hmm. sits, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I know. We need to find out what to do with this, the sitting feelings. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. I really, (laughs) I don't know. I really have no idea. We have a lot of unanswered questions on this one. So if anybody has any tips for us, let us know. Yeah, please. When we, when we shout out the email at the end of the episode, that's a real, real invitation for you to, for you to please email us. (laughs) We need your help. Well, given that we all want to be more securely attached, what are Mm -hmm. some ways that we can do that? So one that I mentioned towards the top of this episode is like, if you are seeking a romantic relationship, trying to find somebody who is securely attached is great. (laughs) It's awesome. Especially if you're not securely attached, that is a going to most likely be a successful relationship, whether that means it lasts forever or not, you'll probably learn some things and maybe have some corrective experiences Therapy is, I mean, we're all, we're never going to (laughs) stop plugging therapy on this, uh, podcast. And there are people that specialize like in attachment theory or or in like family theory and all of that stuff. So if that is a place that you want your therapy to kind of like lead from, you can, when you're like looking for a therapist, you can either ask if they use attachment theory in their practice or sometimes people have it listed on their website or on like psychology today or whatever, that that is something that they go through. Okay. Getting rid of toxic relationships or kind of like cutting ties with people who you see in your life as either pushing your buttons, whatever they might be. Like if it's your anxious attachment, if it's your avoidant, fearful attachment, if it's whatever it is, like if you if there are people in your life that you have relationships with that are not benefiting you and are maybe like making your 
attachment style more or more rooted in you or whatever, like maybe rethinking those relationships or at least maybe having conversations with those people about like, hey, this is something, this is a pattern I've noticed in our relationship that isn't going to work. And maybe you might be able to like work through that or maybe not. I don't know. But if you're avoidant, don't cut mm. all your friends off because that's an avoidant behavior. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> maybe lean into your <laughs> friendships more. Push yourself to lean in more. Um, and then lastly, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of other tips out there again, the email. Um, but working on just like building your self-esteem, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Secure people create secure relationships. They sure do. We love them. We need them. Okay. Well, one last time, our email, it's at likeheartedpodcast at gmail.com. And we really do want to hear from you. We really do. And if you would like to DM us on Instagram, our handle is at likeheartedpod. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.